Welcome to episode two of How to Raise Colorblind Children. It's a book discussion on the Dr. Ibram X. Kendi book, How to Raise an Anti-Racist. And it's the first book of our summer book series on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. So I hope you take a listen. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? Fan School. Fan School is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of Fan School as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on Fan School. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And this summer, I've decided to do some book discussions. This is the second part on my thoughts of the Dr. Ibram X. Kendi book, How to Raise an Anti-Racist. If you listen to part one, this episode is going to pick up about 30 seconds before it ended. And if you haven't listened to part one, listen to part one. Now, you may disagree with me on Everything I say about this, and we're talking about anti-racism, critical race theory, cultural responsive learning, and I'm looking at all this not through the lens of a teacher as much as through the lens of a parent of a multiracial family, so you need to know that going in. But if you do have some discussions, you have some disagreements with me, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference, podcast411, all one word, at gmail.com. I've only heard the pro-anti-racist or culturally responsive learning or CRT critical race theory. And now you're getting to hear from somebody who's both a teacher and has read on those topics, but have also read criticism of those ideas. And not only that, but doesn't have to just think about how this relates to his classroom, but also how it relates to his multiracial family. So feel free to share out this podcast with your friends. The Parent Teacher Conference podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. Just so you know, CRT, critical race theory, is being taught, not as the legal theory, but in the sense that we need to see everything through the lens of race. And it's rare to hear people or voices saying, I disagree with that, or there's some problems, because if you dare question any of these tenets, it's, it's like a religion. You get denounced. You're not denounced as a heretic. You're denounced as a white supremacist or a racist, and it doesn't even matter your skin color. So why am I, as somebody whose skin is lighter skinned, concerned about this? Because I am part of a multiracial family. And if you continue listening, you'll hear my concerns for my family, especially my daughters, 
on this episode. And even if you're at the end, you still line up, you know, I still agree with Dr. Kendi and those views more. I hope that you at least walk away with an understanding of my concerns rather than just denouncing me. So here is part two of my podcast, How to Raise Colorblind Children, a book discussion of the Dr. Kendi book, How to Raise an Anti-Racist. My wife is white, I am white, my children are biracial, and we have experiences too. So we have to judge for our family what is best, and I don't believe that Kendi's is best. Let me continue on. Kendi typically throws down the term white supremacy in an expansive way, as kind of like a net to capture anyone that disagrees with him. You know, it's just like when you were a kid, you would call someone stupid if they disagreed with you and what you wanted to do. Hey, that, that you're stupid. Let's go play baseball right now. I, I don't want to sit in the house and play G.I. Joe's. Come well, you're stupid, right? Remember that when you were a kid? It's name-calling. Or if you want to be a little more sophisticated, it's a logical fallacy called an ad hominem attack. The speaker is trying to inflict reputational damage rather than finding consensus. And a lot of my disagreement with the anti-racism view that is being brought in schools is that. It's the idea that instead of looking for ways that we unite, we are looking for ways that we divide. That would not work in my family. Let me explain. A teacher is teaching a curriculum that I would say is heavily influenced by Kendi's view of anti-racism. That White culture can be all lumped together and is the embodiment of each individual white person. Cultural influences by ethnicity or even religion be damned. All whites have privilege and any pushback to anti-racist ideas or heavily influenced ideas is evidence of somebody's white supremacy. And my biggest concern isn't that one of my daughters is going to bring this crap into the household from school or from some other source, and I have to defend it. I think I could defend it pretty well and show that a lot of it's a load of bunk. And for some, let's be honest, it's a way just to make money, to promote these ideas. The great American thinker Thomas Sowell has said basically, you know, humanities professors can say a whole bunch of wacky ideas because they never have to put their ideas to the test, like an engineer. If you have a wacky idea about building a bridge and you go ahead and do it, the bridge is going to fall. So yes, I do... I am saying that people like Kendi, we have to judge. If they're going to judge me, then I'm going to judge people like Kendi and say, just like they do with the pharmaceutical companies, this is their form of livelihood. They, you know, why does he put out a book? And I know I'm going down a different little rabbit trail here, but why does he put out a book that really doesn't add anything more to the discussion and really does mistitle itself because it really isn't a how-to book about raising anti-racist? You have to consider that a possibility is it's a way to make bucks. He was given a nice, healthy advance, I'm sure, to write that book. And although there's nothing wrong with that, this is America, it is still within my right as an American to say, I have a problem with that, and here's how it's going to affect my family. It's not just the ideas. It's in this situation. You ready? Here is why I'm concerned. I have to discipline my child for one thing or another. They have bought into all this garbage. 
And instead of saying, my father is disciplining me because it's a consequence of what I did wrong. Instead of that, they're going to start wondering, my dad is white and he has a problem because I have dark skin. I have become the embodiment of all the injustices and oppression that other white people have done to other people of color. My love for them and my decision to adopt them, even though I fully knew they were biracial, be damned. And even in my adoption of them, there would be cries of white saviorism. That's what I wanted to be, a white savior to these two little girls. When all I wanted was to be a dad and to show love to two little girls. The color of their skin was irrelevant. Now, the funny thing is, going into this, I thought the bigger problem for my family was going to be the ideological views in school of some kids who have bought, whose parents have bought into the ideology of the Klan, which I had talked about earlier, that existed in the next town over from where we lived out in northwest New Jersey. I thought I was going to need to be concerned for them that when they went to school, that people were going to judge them on the color of their skin, not on the content of their character. Now, my concern has shifted that people are going to judge my wife and I based on the color of our skin and how we, we are raising our daughters rather than in the content of our character. And before you say, if you're listening and you're disagreeing, you say, oh, that would never happen. I know of an adoptive family that was divided on this, ver- a multiracial family that was divided on this very issue. Let me share with you a quote from the author Thomas Chatterton Williams from his book, Self-Portrait in Black and White. This is a book I will discuss next week in the book discussion. I read it last year. I reread it this summer, and it's very pertinent to all our discussion. But here's a quote from the book that I think really sums it up well. Quote, Working toward opposing conclusions, racists and many anti-racists alike eagerly reduce people to abstract color categories, all the while feeding off of and legitimizing each other while any of us searching for gray areas and common ground get devoured twice. That's a great quote. It's really what I'm talking about here. That without realizing it, there are many people on the anti-racist side that they are. They are looking at everything through the lens of race rather than, like I said in the beginning of this whole diatribe part of the podcast I've been on, looking for ways to unite. And in a family that's multiracial, uniting is more important than what divides us. And I would think that would be a better approach to the whole community. A curriculum drenched in anti-racist, cultural responsiveness, critical race theory, whatever you want to call it, a curriculum drenched in this is always going to focus on what divides us. It's about time we start teaching on what unites us. I'm hoping that, as Kendi says, he wants to provoke thought, that I provo- that story just provokes some thought in you. That you're thinking, I never thought of it like that. Well, I, I can understand his point. Kendi, in his book, raises a point about the classroom, the teaching of social studies, teaching of slavery in particular. And I have to be honest, 
as a history teacher for 30 years, I was quite angered by people who are promoting anti-racism, education, critical race theory in the classroom. And, and the anger arises because it's as if no teacher up until the last like five years ever taught about the horrors of slavery, the horrors of Jim Crow and lynching. If, for example, I had a former student who confronted me during the, you know, George Floyd and the tragedy that happened to him provoked a lot of thought and concerns about blacks in America and how they were treated. And during that time, what was occurring that a lot of history that a lot of Americans didn't learn was popping up. It doesn't mean that the main ideas weren't being taught. It was the fact that more specific examples of the injustice that black Americans had to face were becoming evident. And that's not a bad thing. I don't have a problem with that, but don't say because we weren't teaching every single thing. It's, it's what I call degreeism, right? It's not that we weren't teaching injustice to blacks or the, um, the, the deprivation of their rights even after slavery was ended. It's not that every teacher I know of in America who is teaching history was teaching that. But you can't say, no, you weren't because you weren't teaching this event or you weren't teaching about this person. That's just degreeism. I mean, yes, you're right. We, we can't teach everything, and we're not going to get to every single tragedy, every single event of injustice. Now, Kendi does do, another thing Kendi does do well in his books is he piles on information. He gives you a lot of information of injustices that were faced by black Americans in the history of America and its effects today. Those facts are not in dispute. I may not know all of them that he listed. I don't deny they're true, and his research will be helpful in future lessons, that's for sure. I guess my point is this. I agree of the injustices to black Americans throughout American history. But if you're going to hold me to a standard that I can never achieve, if you keep on moving the goalposts, and I mean, well, you didn't teach on that, and you didn't teach on this, you keep on moving that goalpost, you're right, I can never teach every single injustice. No teacher can. And at times, I believe that is being used as a sledgehammer to promote a certain ideology rather than a carrot to encourage teachers to include some of these other events. During COVID, a lot of us were on Facebook and interacting with people we haven't interacted with in years. And one of those people for me was a student from over 25 years ago. And I can best describe him as a evangelist for progressivism. He's the guy who always had to make a comment on anything you posted. And it was always in a self-righteous, condescending way. And one of those ways was the sledgehammer I just talked about. He chastised me for not sharing with his class, the achievements of the black entrepreneurs in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the early 20th century. If you know anything about that, black Americans in Tulsa built up this section of town. It was financially lucrative, and then white supremacists came in, destroyed the businesses, and just kind of wrecked it forever. That is a tragedy. That was injustice. That was a deprivation of their rights. Agree. But he used this as proof of my quote-unquote white supremacy. And here was my response. It, I, I basically said this. 
If my discussions of Jim Crow laws, the deprivation of rights to black Americans, and lynching of those who stood up boldly for their rights and for justice didn't convince you that blacks have been historically mistreated in this country, that speaks more about you than me. What I was saying was, if you needed even more than what I was actually giving to you, that's not on me, that's on you. That means you needed to be convinced more. And that's why I call it degreeism, because you're not going to be able to bring up every point of every historical event. But you should that shouldn't be the standard you're held to. The standard should be, do you agree or disagree that black Americans have had a tough time in this country? That it is historically provable? Yes. Speaking of teaching a more complete history, Kendi brings up that in the Oklahoma State Legislature, a man named Jim Olson brought out a bill. This bill would mandate how slavery is taught in Oklahoma schools. The bill says that the curriculum cannot say that, quote, one race is the unique oppressor during American slavery or that another race is a unique victim in the institution of slavery. Kendi was against this view. He would say it's a white supremacist view. It's trying to suppress the role Americans had in slavery. But the legislation doesn't say that at all. In fact, a lot of people who are angered about, I think Florida has a similar legislation out there, and they they put words into it that aren't there. It doesn't say a teacher cannot teach about America's involvement in transatlantic slavery. What it is saying is you cannot single out American slavery as something unique in the history of humanity. Two things can both be true. We can teach in a public school classroom that American involvement in transatlantic slavery was wrong and that other countries, not only in Europe or the Americas, were participating in slavery and enslaving people at the same time. As American intellectual Thomas Sowell has said, at least a million Europeans were enslaved by North African pirates alone from 1500 to 1800, and some European slaves were still being sold on the auction block in Egypt years after the Emancipation Proclamation freed blacks in the United States. Did you know that? Did anyone ever teach you that? For Kendi, he doesn't want that information out there because it kind of destroys his whole argument that the desire of some to enslave others who are different than them goes beyond skin color. Instead of embracing the thoughts of Kendi or declare ourselves an anti-racist, maybe it's about time we turn to another writer. His name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And if you don't know about him, he lived in the Communist Soviet Union. He wrote a lot about the horrors of communism and its almost slave-like existence for those who were thrown into the gulag, as he was. Kendi makes it sound really easy. Just follow my book, become an anti-racist, and call those who do not want to follow my teaching the worst, most vile words you can. 
And Solzhenitsyn would challenge that. In his book, The Gulag Archipelago, he wrote, if only it were so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. For Solzhenitsyn, it's not about race. It's not about skin color. It's about the content of your character. And for Kendi, it's not just about the color of the skin anyhow. It's really about a political belief. Let's look at this for a second. From his first big book on this issue, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Quote, history tells a different story. Contrary to the mantra, white supremacists are the ones supporting policies that benefit racist power against the interests of the majority of white people. White supremacists claim to be pro-white, but refuse to acknowledge that climate change is having a disastrous impact on the earth. White people inhabit. They oppose affirmative action programs, despite white women being their primary beneficiaries. So what he's saying is that some of these views are actually hurting white people in the long run themselves, these white supremacist views. But, if you, but listen to some of the things he's talked about. Climate change, the argument of climate change, and affirmative action. But who in our society has most of the disagreement on climate change or how climate, the solutions for it, and affirmative action? Is it white people or, or Republicans or conservatives? The problem here is that he basically equates anybody with conservative views as a white supremacist. That's evil. Now, Bill Maher, who is a comedian, he has a talk show on HBO, very liberal. And even he, who would agree with Kendi on his views on climate change, would agree with Kendi on his views on affirmative action, would say he's crossing a line by throwing conservatives that Maher would say, I have dis major disagreements with, but I would never refer to them as a white supremacist. And when you're doing that, and if you choose to go that route, you're no longer having a discussion with somebody. You're no longer provoking thought. Now you're just manipulating them or getting them to agree with you out of fear that you're about to refer to them using a vile term that this society holds in disgust. And it actually, I think, works against Kendi's argument. The reason that people stay silent when others like Kendi throw around the term white supremacist so trivially is they don't want to be labeled as one because they aren't racists. That's why it's effective. It wouldn't be effective in a culture that doesn't care. I would say in reality, the push towards colorblindness that many of us, about my age and a couple decades younger, were being taught in schools was effective. It is a good thing to be colorblind. And that's why I'll continue raising my children as such. You know, I know some people would say, but you saying you're colorblind, you're denying an essential part of who somebody is. You're denying that person their experiences. Some people to the point of even saying, you're denying that other person their existence. I was reading through my town's Facebook forum recently, 
And somebody brought up the idea that I don't judge people or I don't consider people based on the identities that today's American society place so much emphasis on. I see them as you know, basically human beings, as individuals. And someone, of course, had to respond to that almost in a way of saying, how dare you have the audacity to believe that? Here is what the person wrote. I'm alarmed that you or anyone would take this view as an adult in 2023. If you, quote, don't see color or sexuality, end quote, you don't see the people. Ignoring someone's humanity is not a difference of opinion. And that's the problem. The person writing that is the one denying someone else's humanity, in my opinion. I don't want you judging my daughters based on the color of their skin. I want you to look beyond race. I want you to look into their heart, into the content of their character, and I'm pretty sure my daughters would feel the same way about people who talk about their parents. And that's really the problem I have with Dr. Kendi's view and his books. I can go on, but a friend of mine once said, don't bring up problems unless you offer solutions. And the next two books I'm going to discuss will be offering solutions to the problems of the views of Dr. Kendi and his acolytes. The first book I will discuss, I shared a quote earlier, it's from a writer, Thomas Chatterton Williams, and it's called Self-Portrait in Black and White. Mr. Williams actually grew up a few towns away from me. He's about a decade younger as well. So it's, it's interesting reading the book and his um, upbringing because I know exactly the places and this high school he chose to go to and the high school, it's it just fun that way. But just so you know, the book is about Mr. Williams, who himself was biracial, married a French woman who was white, and his child was very white. So some people would define her as black, although she doesn't look black at all. And he presents some views of this, and I'll bring those up in next week. And I honestly believe that his views should be listened to more carefully than Dr. Kendi's for this very reason. There will be more people like Mr. Williams, like his daughter, who will be biracial, multiracial within themselves, not, with, not even within the family. The other book is a critique of Dr. Kendi, CRT, and it's a book by a professor at Columbia University. His name is John McWhorter, who himself is black. And it's just to make the point that no race is a monolith when it comes to belief. Now, the area that we're most diverse in is belief, not color of the skin. And here are two men who share similarities in the black experience with Dr. Kendi with different views on the same topic. And that's why I'll bring them up, because they don't get out there that much. And that's why I encourage you, share this pod, these podcasts out with friends. Let people make their own mind up. Let, let people have their own judgments. Let them hear the diverse views. I thought that's what we're trying to do, especially in the American education system. So remember... You can tell your friends about the Parent-Teacher Conference podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. If you want to email me about anything I discussed on this episode or other episodes, please feel free to, to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference podcast, 411, all together, one word, 
at gmail.com. I'm going to end with this. I think Americans in the past built a wall of separation between whites and blacks. It was unjust and it was wrong. At times, we've sought to tear down that wall, such as the Civil War. But then Jim Crow laws and other discriminatory practices and laws reconstructed parts of the wall. Not to where it was with slavery, but definitely reconstructed it. The passage of the Civil Rights Act took down a lot more of that wall again of of separation. Not that it wasn't still there, and not that racism isn't in the hearts of some people who want that wall there. And at times I see Kendi's view as just a different wall, just another wall of separation. He's not repairing the old wall. He's building a whole new wall. And I think of my family that I've talked about often in these episodes. And I want you to think about this, especially if you're about my age. Think back when you were kids. How many biracial families did you know? How many multiracial families like mine did you know? Would it be more accepted or more frowned upon? I would say more frowned upon. Now, I'm not saying that we never faced looks or sneers from people, both white and black, who disapprove of our multiracial family. I'm realistic. That's always going to be there. But to act as if there has been no progress or very little progress in racial relations in my lifetime is a slap in the face of everyone. And I mean everyone. Skin color doesn't matter. It's a slap in the face to everyone who has been so accepting and has made friends with us who don't give a rip about the external factors of the colors of our skin, but are judging us and our family on the content of our character.